The College Game Day podcast is presented by Old Dominion Freight Line, helping the world keep promises. Nick Saban hangs it up. This is an emergency edition of the College Game Day podcast. It is Wednesday night, January 10th, as Pete Thamel and I speak. Reese Davis with you. And Pete, you know, this is something that has come up uh, several times over the last eight, nine years, to be honest. Uh, You know, whether Nick Saban was going to step down, whether he would give the NFL one more run. In recent years, it was like, is he going to go into broadcasting? Is this the year? And yet... Um, you know, you and I have discussed this at different times over the years. There was always a reason that kept him coming back, most notably that he loves being a coach. Um, it was first, it was, I promised Tua I wouldn't leave. Then it was, I promised Bryce and Will I wouldn't leave, you know, and, and so on and so on and so forth. And I think the thing that hit me is I've always said this coaching profession, particularly in this era, chips away at people, most people. Sure. I always felt as if Nick needed it like he needed oxygen. And yet uh, you knew the day was coming at 72. And I was a little still a little surprised when the news came from Chris Lowe that uh, Nick Saban was retiring. I was surprised too, Reese. I mean, I'd heard at Alabama today, like staff members were doing Zooms with special teams coach candidates. Um, Mm -hmm. the players were on campus for their first day of class. Like, you know, there were rumblings the last couple of weeks, me and I think probably every other reporter in the country checked all around on, and it was, there was no glitch in the relentless push forward matrix of Nick Saban, right? It was Mm -hmm. just, it was, it was all kinds of business as usual. The only thing that wasn't usual was that he did not join the game day set at the championship game, which he typically does. I don't know if it's been every time he's not in it, but he typically does, uh, does do that. I was told he was in Florida over the weekend. Um, but it's a, uh, it's an interesting, uh, yeah, an interesting moment in time. I mean, look, we were always going to be shocked the day Nick Saban stepped away, right? Mm-hmm. There was never going to be, it was never going to be obvious. Nick Saban was never going to go four and eight and everyone's going to, all right, it's time, right? So <laughs> the, uh, you know, the moment was always going to be surprising. I was in Teddy Thamel's daycare. Uh, picking him up when uh, when I my phone buzzed with uh, with Chris Lowe's news uh, that he that he'd sent to the news desk and um, yeah it's just a it's just a truly truly remarkable moment in college football history. You know, Paul Feinbaum asked me about Nick not being with us on the game day set for the national championship game and asked me how that unfolded and I told him the invitation was extended as it always is because he's brilliant on TV and we like having him with us he adds gravitas uh, to that from a coaching perspective and he's he's just uh, he's good on TV but yeah. I don't remember which year but there was another year um when you had a short turnaround between the semifinals and the championship game. So he has joined us most years, but not every year. So there, there was another year in there someplace where he didn't, uh, where he chose not to be with us. I'm almost certain. So I didn't really take that as a big sign. Um, I know that there was some consternation among some Alabama fans when I think he went on Pat McAfee's show and it was obvious he wasn't in Tuscaloosa. He was, you know, he was at his, uh, his recently purchased home in South Florida. But again, sure. I don't think that was any big indicator. So, you know, he, he did it the way you might have expected, kept it uh, close to the vest personal I imagine with Miss Terry and, and probably some other confidants uh, like his a longtime agent Jimmy Sexton and you know and then he has you know made the decision today and I think we were all surprised and so it leaves us with this moment 
to put a career in perspective. And you're always hesitant in most cases to say someone is the greatest because there were so many great accomplishments mm -hmm. along the way. But for my judgment, I express without reservation that he is the greatest football coach in the history of college football. And it's not just because he was a defensive savant. He was a spectacular recruiter. He adapted. He adapted to things that he didn't necessarily agree with, whether it was up-tempo offenses, uh, NIL and transfer portal. It was like, I don't think this is good for the game, but if this is what you guys are going to do, I'm not going to tie a hand behind my back. I'll probably just do it better than you do it. And he did. And, you know, I've, you know, people have, you know, some people count championships and he has more than anyone. I don't believe that's a necessarily accurate way to determine how great someone is. I do think that certainly a bounce of the ball here or there gave him opportunities to win some. There were also some bewildering bounces of the ball that kept him from winning two or three more. So the consistency... Haunted Mansion reference for our yeah, Facebook haunt, listeners. Hey, not only Haunted Mansion, overtime games last year in, mm -hmm. in 2022. Um, you know, there were, there were a couple of others as well where... They very well could have been in it. Even, you know, like even I think back to the first year of the college football playoff and they play Ohio State who ended up winning the national championship. And maybe there's no greater compliment to what Saban built than this perception and this idea when uh, revisionist history, when you think back on that game and the idea that Ohio State just stomped them. Ohio State was a great team, deserving champion, deserved to win the game. But Alabama had three turnovers, including a pick six, and still threw the ball into the end zone on the final play of the game. Everybody forgets that, you know. So it became sure. – they established such a dynasty that any time they lost, it was a major event. You know, you can if you can recite the losses that a program or a coach has, that's probably as great a testament to their accomplishment as anything else. Yeah, Reese, well, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, you know, all these years going into national title games when Nick Saban played, there were, there, I would get the column in my pocket ready, you know what I mean, as he's approaching the greatest and then obviously <laughs> past the greatest. So I, I remember a couple of those title game mornings calling Bobby Bowden. And Bob Bowden didn't argue with it, you know? Mm -hmm. like you, you, And I would think the other goats would name him the goat. I think that's, mm -hmm. probably, that's probably the best way to uh, say it. Uh, I do think generations ago, college football – was probably more engineered for the Blue Bloods than it is today, um, just generally speaking. Um, it is very difficult to win in modern college football today. It's a national sport. There's billions of dollars being uh, flooded into it. The The lines and the margins are, uh, I feel like, thinner than ever. And uh, for Nick Saban to have that run of dominance during, during this time where the world is flatter than it was in different generations, uh, I think is the ultimate, uh, the ultimate testament. Now, seven championships, correct, Reese? Uh, one at LSU yeah. and six at Bama? Correct. And, you know, that he's done it, did it in multiple places. Uh, was probably better in the NFL, by the way, than people give him credit for. Um, he wasn't like an abject failure there. Um, but again, you mentioned the adapting, right? He realized that college was for him. He could go get a first round pick at every position was sort of the famous notion that that he brought back with him to uh, Alabama. And let's not forget, Alabama was a laughing stock when he rolled through there. Um, mm -hmm. It was it was down 
and there was no guarantee that it would be back. He had to he had to literally change the the culture of the entire university to get it there. Uh, a, a favorite Saban story of mine is that he actually moved the start date of the university or like lobbied to have it moved because it fit better with summer session and bringing guys in and whatever. Like that was the power of Saban. That was the alignment of Saban that he could actually move classes. You know, Pete, too, as an alumnus of Alabama, sure, they were very wise in that they capitalized on the success that he had and the vision that he had. Um, if you look at the economic impact that he's had on the university, even the the princely sum, the kingly sum that they paid him over the years was probably uh, undervalued relative to what he did for the university. Um, it has raised its profile. Its enrollment has skyrocketed. They, they recruit both students and athletes from all over the country now. And that was something that they didn't do before then. Um, we've been there several times for game day and the university itself, just in terms of, of physical facilities for academics, uh, totally different. Uh, and they have done so largely on the back of the football success. Now, not exclusively, and you had to have university presidents and, and the board of trustees and all those people who have to get an alignment and understand the value of not just winning games, but using that enhanced profile to build your academic uh, situation, and they did that. That's part of the impact that Saban has had. The impact that he had in the community for you know building homes through the Knicks Kids Foundation for people who lost their homes in the tornado and then continuing that on when they won national championships. And then there have been there was at least one year I know where Miss Terry said, well, let's do one anyway, even though we didn't win it this year. They have poured themselves back into that community. And I really believe that the the way the tornado in 2011, I believe, uh, mm -hmm. affected him really really sort of cemented the feeling that, that he was home. You know, there was talk, you know, it was Texas and maybe the NFL and this and that over the years. But it was like after that, there was a little more permanence to it. And, you know, it's pretty remarkable a turn of events and the impact that he's had beyond the football field, which was immense. And the primary reason we'll talk about it. But I think as, as someone who grew up in that state, an alumnus of that university, I have a great appreciation for the other things that he contributed as well. Yeah, Reese, and uh, I, uh, I'd i be curious, just the emotional component for you, obviously you've covered him as a broadcaster, but you know, I, I know this, I remember from when Syracuse won the 2003 national title, I wasn't particularly impacted by it, but I remember the the joy, like showing up in my phone that night, seeing friends yeah, yeah. On, on Bourbon Street, like uh, championships give, you, you know, your peers, the people who grew up with, the people whose weddings you're in, a lot of mm -hmm. a lot of joy. And I, I'd imagine your phone is lit up tonight. Can you give me a little glimpse into, as a proud Alabama alum, just the, the emotional wave you're feeling tonight uh, from this moment? You step back from it, Pete, and I've, I've said this, one thing that happens uh, to use two of the championship games, uh, it's one of the things that's um, part and parcel of our business. You don't feel the devastation when Deshaun Watson hits Hunter Renfro. Sure. And you don't feel the same exhilaration when Tua hits Devontae Smith. 
you know, so the, your yeah. your spectrum is narrowed very much. So, you know, I've, I've gotten a ton of uh, response from people who are outside of our industry uh, mm-hmm. who are very saddened by it, a little shocked by it, worried that something's wrong, you know, <laughs> because I think they, you know, thought he was, you know, going to coach there forever. So there have been, a, a, you know, a number of, of things like that. But the overwhelming sense, Pete, is appreciation. Because of what you said, there was no guarantee that it was going to get right when they hired him in 2007. And because of NCAA scandals and incompetent hires and the notion for a long time that you had to be uh, an Alabama man, you know, to be able to guide that program, um, you know, held them back, you know, in a lot of ways. So... You know, there were a lot of things that had gone wrong, whether it was getting, uh, you know, getting left by Dennis Franchoni, uh, the Mike Shula era, which really didn't work out prior to Franchoni. The DeBose uh, era was, uh, you know, a debacle uh, for them and, and left them with a lot of black eyes. And he was able to fix all of that. So you combine fixing LSU and fixing Alabama. Uh, you know, he was, in addition to being a great on-the-field coach, a great a psychological perspective and, and motivational guy. He, he would be and, and is with the Ferrari dealerships and Mercedes dealerships and all the other things. He's a very astute organization builder from a business standpoint. And I think he really set the standard for what modern elite college football programs look like we used to call them programs and we still do but now they're basically organizations and nick often Mm -hmm. referred to it sort of in that nfl vernacular in the the organization and he he was a master at doing that as well you know we could go on and on about how he changed uh college football right but i just Mm -hmm. think he really was uh, a thought leader in infrastructure, in building things, and in, in he built the mousetrap that then Kirby Smart rebuilt at Georgia, right? Mm-hmm. And he built the model. And a lot of people tried to use the model and fail, by the way. So the model mm-hmm. was not infallible. The creator of the model and the executor of the model was clo- mm-hmm. as close to infallible as you uh, as you can be. But uh, I think back a couple years ago to. Uh, I did a series on uh, NFL scouting and followed the Dolphins scouts around for a year. And every scout I've ever talked to has said the best visit is Alabama. Because, mm-hmm. you know, Nick, when he, since coming back from the NFL, realized what a powerful marketing tool the NFL was for his program. And I think the the number that got put on social media tonight, which is just a, uh, just a completely preposterous number, is that his first round picks were almost double the, double the losses. So he had 44 first round picks, 29 losses. So maybe not almost double, but darn, darn close to uh, to that. And I mean, when you just think of something just astounding, that is an astounding number. You know, it's a, a remarkable thing. Something, uh, you know, I, I probably should have shared. You were asking about the emotion of it. I had a conversation with him. It's been over a year ago, so it wasn't, you know, this time about when he might come to join us. And I'm not breaking news. I don't know what his plans are after this. You know, we haven't heard from him yet. Look forward to that. But, you know, there's always been the idea that he would be perfect for our show on College Game Day. And mm-hmm. I certainly believe that. And I think many people at ESPN do. And what I said to him was, uh, as an alumnus, I hope you coach at Alabama forever, for as long as you want to. I said, as the host of College Game Day, I'm ready for you to come be on our show yesterday. 
you know, so I said, what, you know, whatever, you know, whatever it is that, you know, that I can be of value to try to, you know, if you are interested in this at some point, if I can be of value in helping you make that decision of what to expect or how it might go, uh, you know, in terms of weekly structure and all of those kinds of things, uh, you know, I'm happy to talk about it. And then I think the one thing that probably served him well as a coach and as a guy who could motivate uh, players and got better at that, by the way, very sure. harsh early in his career and mm-hmm. still demanding, but learned to be demanding and um, in a different way. Um, you know, then, then perhaps some of the videos that we saw, you know, in his NFL career at there. Um, but, you know, he was always very curious. He wants to know, wants to be buttoned up. Why, how would we do this? What's the tape look like here? What point would you like for me to make there? You know, and, you know, all of those kind of, he's, he's thorough in everything he does. And, you know, if he, if he chooses to do television, he'll be great at it. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it, and certainly you saw some of that. Uh, Paul Feinbaum asked me, you know, what it was like to have him in meetings with us. And I said to him, I said, Paul, like you, you always want to do a great show. You never mm-hmm. want to let the, you know, I guess to use Saban vernacular, you don't want to be affected by your circumstances. You want to do a great show. But if you go into a meeting and Nick's there, then you want to make sure that you're buttoned up and that you're, you're not just, you know, saying wild stuff off the wall. You know? So there's, there's that, uh, there's that gravitas that, that he brings to just about any room, whether sure. it's a football or, or otherwise. We get to see uh, potentially here, obviously, uh, America's most unlikely bromance come to life in front of us, Reese. Uh, Nick and Pat McAfee are uh, our colleague <laughs> well, and friend. Because yeah, yeah. I still, yeah. and I obviously have immense respect for both. I still wouldn't have pe- pegged those two as being the, <laughs> you know, the, the the buddy movie. But here, here we are. Just to reiterate to people listening, uh, that we we know we know nothing of that ilk of what the plans are, um, or if there even are plans, or what led to Nick making this decision at the time that he did. Uh, before we wrap up here, Pete, with a quick emergency podcast, I mean, the, the question is, because the machine rolls on, right? I sure. mean, the college football rolls on, and there's spring training, there's recruiting to finish, all of those kinds of things. Um, who's, who's next at Alabama in your judgment? I, I mean, I think I know who the first call should and likely will be too, but, you know, how, how it goes from there, what, what would you expect to unfold? Yeah, well, I uh, there's no internal candidate that's expected to rise up, Reese. I think that's fair to say, right? Because when some of these guys have, have left these mega jobs like Urban Meyer at Ohio State or whatever, there's a temptation to keep the infrastructure together, right? Mm-hmm. Because the infrastructure is such a strong piece of everything. Now, I'm not saying someone new would come in and blow up the infrastructure, but when you have strength coaches and recruiting and operations at the level that Bama does, but I don't think anyone, you know, guys get jobs too fast from Alabama to there for there to be a, a logical internal candidate. So I, uh, I put out a list of, of Dan Lanning, Kalen DeBoer, Dabo Sweeney, James Franklin, Mike Norvell, and Marcus Freeman, no order, uh, no order there. Um, I just don't think Steve Sarkeesian would leave Texas. So that's why I did not, uh, I did not put him on the list. And I have a hard time seeing Greg Byrne, uh, hire Lane Kiffin considering Lane Kiffin was fired from Alabama um, mm-hmm. before before he left. And Greg Byrne is a very buttoned up man. And mm-hmm. uh, that would that that would be a little bit oil and water. So those are two names that have been thrown out that I did not use. And those were the uh, th- those were the, the the reasons why I'm not saying they're impossible. That's just my intuition and uh, and assumption. But if I had to distill it down, you know, I would think 
Norvell, uh, only a four million dollar buyout would be uh, would be heavily courted. I think Lanning, um, who obviously has time in that tree, mm-hmm. would be someone. Now Lanning has a twenty million dollar buyout, and he was mm-hmm. definitive when A and M opened in his stance about not leaving Oregon anytime soon and where his uh, where his family was. And then DeBoer, it's hard to say. The guy's still devastated from you know from mm-hmm. obviously the, uh, the the other night. His buyout's uh, twelve twelve and a half million, something like that. So there are uh, you know that you only I assume will hire a big-time headliner coach at Alabama. And to do that is going to be costly. Um, mm. Changing out all the assistants is going to be costly. Like There's a lot that's going to flow in and out uh, in and out through there. But I would think that, that Greg Byrne, uh, you know, an accomplished, lifelong son of an athletic director uh, himself, uh, has the challenge of his career ahead of him. I think it's a very, very difficult job because – what happens is these guys become their own industries at places mm-hmm. like Penn State, Florida State, Alabama, Washington. Like you have to move 50, 60 people in these jobs uh, oftentimes, right? So it's just, it is very tricky and it's very tricky to do it quietly too, Reese. And Greg has moved uh, quietly in the past to hire, sure. whether it's coaches at Alabama. Um, I remember when he hired Rich Rodriguez at Arizona. Uh, he did so very quietly. His... Uh, methodology is often to function as his own search committee and this is not something that you know any good athletic director and he's he's right at the top of the list of the best mm-hmm. no matter how much they want their incumbent coach to stay they realize they better be ready so he's not yes. uh, you know I don't think he's gone into this uh, you know caught flat-footed and now all of a sudden trying to compile a list now he'll have to to execute the plan uh, Pete Um, Great work, as always. I know there'll be much more in the coming days. Um, So thanks for listening to this emergency College Game Day podcast on the occasion of Nick Saban stepping down after a glorious run at Alabama. Uh, Thanks for listening to the podcast. Download wherever you like to get your podcast or subscribe so you never miss an episode. (laughs)